Amen. I hope you know and can sing with confidence as we sang in that song that when you stand before the judgment throne, that the Lord Jesus Christ is your righteousness, the one in whom you hide yourself, not your own works, but what Christ has done for you, the very righteousness of God. He is our claim before God. And that song is a neat reminder to us. Uh, One other announcement I wanted to mention, I forgot to say it earlier, it is nice to have Dallas Putnam with us, and as one of our missionaries with CBM, and so he'll be presenting in the family service today. I'll mention that again at the end of our service. I invite you all to stick around uh, for his presentation during the family service today. So Psalm 58 is where we are, a strong and severe psalm, as you saw in our scripture reading and as you uh, sang in the song we set to that melody there uh, as we tried to sing the words to Psalm 58 together. But it really ends with that theme in verse 11 that all will see, surely God is the judge of the earth. And so we think today about God's righteous judgment. He is the ruler of all things, and He will judge the world. This is the theme of the psalm, and it's interesting, if you look at the text, you may even notice the way that verse 1 and verse 11 have a number of very similar words, similar ideas. There's a number of phrases that come up in both places. The idea of speaking righteousness, the idea of being right or upright, the idea of judging, the idea of mankind comes up in all, in both of those verses, and judging in the earth, as it's mentioned in verse 2 there, comes up in verse 2 and verse 11. There's sort of some parallel ideas that occur in both verses. You can sort of think of those like, like bookends at the beginning and the end of the psalm, and they help us to see what David is talking about as he talks about this psalm. He begins with the, the, just the unjust judgments of mankind. There is so much evil, and that's where he starts, and he laments that and even calls for God to judge, but he closes in verse 11 and says that when God judges, it will be clear, God is the righteous judge of the earth. And so that is really the theme of this psalm, and that's what we'll study as we work through it. We'll remember that God is the righteous judge of the earth. And we'll think through how David responds to that and how we too can respond to God's justice as the righteous judge of the earth. We don't have to think very hard to recognize that we face all sorts of evil around us in this world. And our hearts are often like David's when he comes up with these graphic metaphors calling for God to bring wrath upon these evildoers, like like break their teeth in, O God. How many times have you and I maybe had similar thoughts in the face of an enemy or somebody who's done something wrong with, oh, I just, just wish I could punch their teeth in, right? And so, well, David doesn't punch their teeth in, he just asks God to punch their teeth in. We'll think about uh, what that means and how we interpret that in our lives today. But again, we, we understand what David is feeling here. We are certainly confronted with evil. Sometimes it's very personal evil, things that happen in our lives. It seems like somebody is just against us and out to get us and do us harm and do us evil. Other times it's on a broader scale. See, acts of violence in this world. I was talking with 
my parents, they live in the Chicago area, about the, the shooting in Highland Park, another Chicago suburb on the 4th of July, around a parade celebrating our nation's independence, and there's this violent massacre there at the parade. It's just acts of evil that happen around us. How do we, how do we process these things? And in ways, I think, as we see these things and, and have a sense of anger over the injustices that we see, that sense of anger, I think, can be right. Reflecting the fact that these things are opposed to God. It's not the way God designed the world to work. They're, they're evidences of our fallenness, of our sin, and the brokenness of this world. And so it is right for us to grieve and to feel that sense of anger. But then what do we do with that? So David sets a nice pattern for us as we think through the truth that God is the righteous judge of all the earth. How then do we respond in times of evil and injustice? As we dive into Psalm 58, it's important that we get a sense of the setting. What was it that David faced that caused him to just write these harsh, harsh words about evildoers? Often in the title of the psalm or in the heading of the psalm, David will give us some clues. We don't have very many clues in this psalm's title. He says it's to the chief musician. He wanted this to be used in public worship, which is unique in and of itself. He sets it to a tune called Do Not Destroy. You might recall coming across that tune last week attached to Psalm 57. And you'll notice that next week, Lord willing, we'll study Psalm 59, which is also set to this same tune, Do Not Destroy. We don't know exactly how this melody went. It's an interesting name for a tune. And it's an especially interesting name for the tune attached to this psalm, which calls for God's destruction of evildoers. It's to be sung to the melody, Do Not Destroy. You go, wait a second here. <laughs> David, what are you talking about? Well, we don't know exactly what David had in mind, but sensing the connection between Psalm 57, 58, and 59, maybe the melody had something to do with the context that David was facing. Do you remember last week? What was the context that David was in when he wrote Psalm 57? It was when he had hid from Saul in the cave, when they were trying to take his life, and David had not killed Saul, even though he could have. Just cut a piece of his robe and presented it to Saul and tried to prove to Saul, I- I'm innocent, Saul. You don't have to seek my life. And so, of course, Saul uh, saw David's logic and reason and said, okay, fine, I'll stop chasing you. No, that's not how the story goes at all. David shows this proof that he's not trying to kill him, Saul sees the evidence and yet continues to try to take David's life. And so my guess, it's a guess, is that maybe Psalm 58 is in response to Saul's response to David's pursuit of of innocence and justice to say, look, I, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And yet Saul, listening to the counsel of his men, chooses to continue to seek David's life. That's an act of injustice. And David had chosen not to take justice into his own hands. And so now he's crying out to God, I don't understand. You're the just God. Stop Saul (laughs) 
from chasing me and from trying to put me down. We don't know for sure whether that's the context, but sure enough, Psalm 59 continues to talk about Saul and his pursuit of David. And so it fits well that Psalm 58 could also be about Saul and his men seeking David's life, trying to kill him. And so David responds by turning to the Lord and seeing keeping his eyes on the God who is the righteous judge of all the earth. So let's consider then, as we read David's example here, how we might respond to the fact that God is the righteous judge of all the earth. Well, number one, I think it is good for us to grieve the injustices of the wicked. One of the things that David's words here remind us of is that evil and and wickedness is directly opposed to who God is. God's the righteous judge of the earth. And so there is a sense in which it's right for us to grieve and mourn and even to hate the evil works that are opposed to God. They are not right. And so remembering God's righteous judgment helps us to think through that it is right for us to grieve evil and injustice in the earth. David opens verse 1 with two rhetorical questions. It's almost like it's written to these evildoers. He says, do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? It's as if the evildoers have claimed, well, yes, we are righteous. We make righteous judgments. We do what is right. And David's asking, do you really? He calls them silent ones, which may imply that there had been some opportunity for them to speak up as to what was right, but they remained silent and let the injustice continue. Maybe there were even some counselors of Saul that that David knew, and David was even thinking, oh, speak up, you know I'm innocent. And yet they remained silent and let Saul continue to seek David's life. We don't know for sure, but some kind of silent injustice. And David said, oh, do you really speak righteousness, you silent ones? And then he asks another question, do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? Sons of men is a term can refer to all people. It's kind of expanding it here. And so he says, do you really judge uprightly? Are your determinations, are they really righteous? When you make decisions, are you really choosing what is good and right and true? He's asking even the reader to sort of consider our own thoughts and perspectives. He doesn't wait for us to answer. In verse 2, David shares the answer. He says, no, (laughs) you're not judging rightly. He says, in your heart you work wickedness. David knows that these wicked ones are committing these acts of evil, even from their heart, from their inner core, the very center of their will. They are acting out these acts of violence and injustice. The final phrase of verse 2 is really interesting. He says, you weigh out the violence with your hands. That term, weigh out, could almost bring to mind a picture of justice scales, But instead of weighing out justice, these evildoers are weighing out violence, evil. They're using their hands to do what is wrong. They're not weighing the scales to find what is right. No, they're determining on their own the evil acts they want to commit. Justice has nothing to do with it. 
And so then in verses 3 through 5, David begins to describe them in a number of metaphors. First, he talks about how they're like a child who from birth has been a rebel. The word estranged in the New King James means they've gone astray. They've wandered from their parents' instruction. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Now, obviously, taken literally, a newborn child can't speak lies, but David's point here that their wickedness has begun from birth. In verse 4, he compares them to a snake. Their actions are like poison, destructive, bringing death. Not only that, it's a snake that doesn't listen. Now, if you know anything about snakes, my understanding is that most of them can't really hear. They can't hear at all or can't hear very well, depending on how you study the research there. And so he's drawing this illustration of of a snake being charmed. And so you can sort of picture somebody, you know, playing their clarinet. I don't think it was a clarinet that they actually played, but whatever, you know, some kind of instrument and they're sort of charming the snake. As the story goes anyways, actually the motion of the instrument that charmed the snake more so than the sound. But anyway, you can imagine that. And so this, the cobra kind of comes up out of the basket, right? And, and so the, the charmer could apparently control the snake and keep it from biting him or anyone else, right? So that's the picture David has in mind as he writes this. But there's something about this snake. This snake doesn't obey the charmer. The snake doesn't listen. It stops its ear. It will not listen. It does not do what the charmer calls it to do. It will not heed the voice, even though the charmer charms ever so skillfully, as the end of verse 5 says. The word skillfully is related to the word wisdom. So in this word picture, he's calling them snakes that do not listen to the voice of wisdom. Who might the charmer represent in the metaphor? I think it represents God. These evildoers do not heed the wise voice of God. Like deaf cobras, they do whatever they want, biting whomever they please, spreading their poison and taking life because they will not listen to the wisdom of God. David grieves their injustice. And I think this is the right response. Of course, we're we're never supposed to turn from the Lord. We're never supposed to ignore His voice and to commit acts of evil. This has been the great lament in the earth since the fall in the garden. We've disobeyed God. We've broken His perfect creation. And so it is right for us to grieve the injustices of the wicked. Because God is the righteous judge of the earth, it's right for us to grieve the wicked. You've probably found yourself in various scenarios thinking to yourself, you know, this just isn't fair. You ever been in a time like that when you were treated in such a way that wasn't fair, you were ignored, you were looked past, you were something uh, unjust happened to you, and it just isn't fair. On our recent vacation, uh, we had found a deal where we could get a few nights free in a hotel. All we had to do was listen to an advertisement to become uh, owners in the resort company there. That was, uh, you, oh, that sounds like maybe you've experienced this before. 
So indeed, we very much enjoyed our free night stay, and uh, it came time to our, uh, to our interview or, or whatever with the presentation with the, uh, the company there. Uh, and so we went to that, and uh, it was actually one of the most pleasant experiences I've ever been through. In fact, it was the first time I'd ever been through one of those where they accepted our first no as our answer. And uh, you just kind of let us go and said, okay, well, thank you for your time. Have a great day. And I can hardly believe it. I was like, okay, well, where's the next guy and the next guy and the next guy? You know, I thought, surely we're going to get some pressure here. This happened to us one time on another vacation where we went into one of these uh, sales pitches and uh, this was one of the worst experiences of my life, right? So we went into the first one, and, and uh, you know, we said, oh, we explained. I even got into my, my beliefs as a Christian, and I, you know, I just don't think this is something we should get into and so forth. And so she said, okay, okay, well, let me talk to my manager. And, oh, boy, here we go. So then he comes out and begins talking with us. And we said, no, no, it's just not for us. Okay, well, let me, let me bring someone else in. And so a third person comes out. And so now it's like, you know, three on two. We're outnumbered here. And uh, the attack goes on, and it actually ended with the, the, the third person that had come out was actually began attacking my character. Actually began saying, how could you? You say you're a pastor and you won't, you know, got into, the, I don't even remember his logic, but uh, he, he began attacking my character. And so uh, Carrie's, you know, kind of getting chills on her spine. You're, oh, you know, she's ready to fight. No, I'm kidding. That's not like my wife at all. But, and so we had to sit patiently through this thing. And finally they accepted our no as an answer. But I remember coming away from that thing like, Oh, my goodness, you know, did that really just happen? You know, do they really say those things about us? And, you know, it kind of took some time to process that. It's not fair. That wasn't right, you know, and so frustrated by experiences like that. Now, that's a very small scale act of evil and injustice. And certainly you can think through times in your life that you may experience some kind of personal injustice or evil. And like I said in the introduction today, evil goes far beyond just what happens to us personally. We look at all sorts of examples of the way our sin-cursed earth continues and humans set against God continue to show their acts of evil. And friends, it is right for us to grieve those things. They do not please God. It's not the way He made things to work. In fact, they're directly opposed to the way He is. Lament is not always a familiar word in our context of prayer and worship, but I think it is an important part of how we praise God. Because when we lament the evils of this world, we we remember that this is not how God made things to be. We grieve the sin and the wickedness and the opposition. Like David, there will be times that we grieve and mourn wicked rulers As David grieves over what Saul is doing to lead Israel to try to attack him. We grieve when governments make evil decisions that promote injustice and wickedness. We grieve when terrorists murder and rage. We grieve when rulers go to war to further their own personal agenda. We grieve when governments enact genocide. We grieve when people groups are mistreated. These things do not please God. They are exactly opposed to who He is. We grieve wicked people as well. 
those who are opposed to God and in their every choice seeking to work against what God is trying to do in the earth, lying and stealing and committing adultery and murder and showing partiality and jealousy and deception and so on and so forth. But even as we grieve wicked people, friends, we must pause for a moment and also grieve the, own, the, the very acts of wickedness that you and I have committed to. Before we get too focused on the wickedness of others, we need to pause and go back to verses 1 and 2, where, yes, David is talking to the wicked ones, but I think by God's own intention, it's written in such a way that it's written to the reader. So that when you and I read these verses, we begin to then question ourselves, do I indeed speak righteousness? Have every one of my words been upright and just? Have I indeed always said exactly what God would want me to say? No. Or the next one, do I judge uprightly? Has every decision I've made, every determination, the way I've looked at every person, even thought about them in my head, has it always been upright and pleasing to God? No. Again, we don't have to think hard to understand that wickedness lies in my own heart as well. And David says it in verse 2, no, in your heart you work wickedness. It was just back in Psalm 53 that we studied together that there is no one righteous. There is none who does good. In fact, as we study Psalm 58 today, we see that God alone is the righteous judge of the earth. It's not me. It's not me. And so while I grieve the evil and the wickedness of the world around me, I at the same time must also grieve the wickedness and the evil that I see in my own heart. Anger in my heart towards someone else, not because of God's righteousness, but because of my selfishness, I get angry. Lust in my heart after things God has not given to me exaggerating or adjusting a story so it goes over a little better or doesn't embarrass me the way I don't want it to. Stealing time on the clock or pens from a coworker, whatever it may be. We don't have to think too hard to see the sins in our lives and in our hearts. And so we grieve our own wickedness as well. But David here contrasts the wicked with the righteous. And so we begin to ask that question. Somehow in David's view, there are righteous. In verse 10, he refers to the righteous who will rejoice in God's judgment. So this begins to beg the question for us, how do we transition from wicked ones to righteous ones? The answer is not by just doing more good than bad. David understood the answer. It was by faith in God's promises. David had trusted in the promises of God, in the covenant of God, was living by God's law, the Mosaic law, was living by faith in the Lord. So God credited his faith as righteousness. For us in the New Testament, we find righteousness again by faith in what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ, when we trust in Jesus as our Savior, the one who died for us and rose again, who took God's wrath in our place. When we trust in Him, 
We are given the very righteousness of God. As God says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He's the one in whom we hide ourselves. He's the one who grants righteousness by faith. And so, friend, we become righteous not by trying to outweigh our evil works with good works. We become righteous by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how many good things we've done, we will forever be wicked and evildoers because we have committed acts of evil. Only the forgiveness and righteousness of Christ can save us. Even when we are forgiven and right with God and may be considered righteous by God's justice as He looks upon Christ instead of us, we have to recognize that we will still commit acts of sin. We will still commit evil and ought to grieve those things in our lives. You see, the righteous justice of God leads us to grieve our sin. So friend, even if you have trusted in Christ as Savior, it is right, even when you sin, to grieve your sin and to run to your Savior with gratitude. This, Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness in my life. I don't deserve this, but you poured your wrath out on your Son instead of me, and I thank you. As David continues in the psalm, he, we come in verses 6 through 9 to this strong, strong prayer. And what we're going to learn as we study this is that it is good for us to pray to God to end all wickedness. Now, I want to think through as we study these, David is referring to the wicked in the plural all through here. So, even if he has Saul in mind, it's just not so much a personal vendetta as it is just calling God's justice upon the wicked. Again, his words are plural all throughout this. And so we're thinking of evildoers as a category, not just Saul individually. So it's more than just a personal vendetta. And he's asking God to do what is just, to do what is right. So in verse 6, he asked God to break their teeth in, and he, he may still have the picture of the, uh, the cobra here, so that God would break the fangs of the cobra, and he'd no longer have any harm. The next picture is of young lions, and again, he asked for God to break their fangs, the sense being to make them harmless. Verse 7, he asked them to sort of disappear. He, he asked that God would bring waters that would just wash them away. Then in the second half of verse 7, he asked that their arrows would be broken. So they're archers that don't have any power. They have no arrows to shoot any longer. So they again become powerless. And then in verse 8, he talks about them as a snail that is just disappearing on a hot rock, melts away as it goes, whether, whether by salt or by sunlight. This can happen to snails. They either just dissolve away or vanish in the heat as they're dried up. And so David's saying, I want them to just disappear. And in the, the most difficult curse of all of these. In the end of verse 8, he actually calls that they would be like a stillborn child, meaning expected birth, but then it's, they're powerless. They're not there. They're gone. He wants them to be wiped off the face of the earth, not even to see the sun, so that they never have any chance to do their acts of evil. 
Verse 9 uses the metaphor of a fire, and there's these thorn, thorny branches that are burning in the pot. But before the pot can even feel the heat of the fire, a wind comes and blows these light pieces of wood away. God shall take them away as with a whirlwind, he says, in his living and burning wrath. He's calling upon God to bring justice, to end all wickedness, either to make them powerless or to actually make them disappear altogether, that they cannot continue to enact violence. And again, maybe David had in mind that Saul and his men would stop hunting him down. These are graphic and strong because it's a graphic and strong violence that they're committing. David wants the punishment to match the crime. He wants their judgment to match their acts of evil. And indeed, it's true. God's judgment will be just. He says that He will repay our works. So we know that judgment is coming and that it will be just. It will be sure and it will match the crime. God does judge this way. And so, in a sense, David is asking the right things of God for God to do what is just and right. And in David's view, this is what it looks like. It's interesting that David turns to God to ask God to do this. There would be times in David's life when God would use David to enact justice. David was going to become the king of Israel. And as king, God had given him authority to enact justice and to punish evildoers. And there would be times in David's rule that God would send David to put down an evil nation and he would do it in war, pleasing the Lord. So God does, yes, use human means sometimes, even as he used David. And Romans 13 says that's even true today. God uses governments and authorities have their authority from God to put down evil. But we don't always have that authority, that power. There are times when we are powerless in the face of evil, and always it is the right choice to go to God in prayer, that God Himself would end all wickedness, that He would put evil down, He would bring it to an end. There are variety of times in life where we feel that desire that something would just stop, something uncomfortable, something difficult. We call upon the Lord to bring it to an end. This recent 4th of July celebration uh, is becoming more and more common, especially in Iowa here, for people to uh, set off fireworks in their, their own driveway or you know front yard or whatever and so it's kind of interesting. You can watch maybe your city uh, sets off uh, their own fireworks show, but kind of as you're waiting for it, you can watch all the fireworks in the neighborhood go off too. Some of those home fireworks shows uh, ended up getting a little bit out of control. You could uh, purchase a set that, you know, once you started one, it would send off all the rest of them. So you didn't have to go up every time and keep lighting them, and so you could start the, the chain of events to go off. And I was watching a video of uh, one family, and they, they had bought one of these sets like this, and so they would start the first one, and it would go down the whole row of them. And I, I don't remember how many were in it, maybe uh, 25 to 50, something like that. 
And so they had their chairs set up on the front lawn, and they were all out there ready to go, and everyone was set. They were back a safe distance, and, and, uh, and so uh, they sent somebody up to light the first one, and it, it starts on fire, and you can see the fuse kind of going. But, but somehow, as it hits the first one, one of the fireworks tipped over, and it shot the whole rack under a nearby vehicle. And there was enough smoke and things like that that not everybody saw that that happened, uh, and so there was actually even a, a, one of the uh, um, viewers was standing right there next to that vehicle, and he had missed it too. It had slid right under the vehicle behind him. And so they're all kind of watching, waiting for the fireworks display to begin. And all of a sudden, all these fireworks begin shooting out from underneath the vehicle. There's flashes of light and shooting all directions. And the guy who was standing there is kind of like, oh! you know, he jumps and runs away. And thankfully, as you watch the video, it's obvious everyone made it to safety. They, they saw the problem and everyone was okay. But then for the next like 30 seconds or more, right, a couple minutes even, it just continues. Nobody could stop it, right? It's just kind of like, stop, 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 don't damage the car. But there was nothing they could do. The fireworks just keep going off, you know, underneath this car, shooting out all directions. You're never going to try fireworks at home now after telling this story, aren't you? Well, thankfully, everyone was okay. It was one of those moments where you just have no control. Like, no, stop, 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 but you can't. It had to go through all 25 to 50 or whatever it was. It had to go through every single one of them before they could finally approach and see what damage had been done. There are times, so many times in life, there are things beyond our control that happen. We just want them to stop. No, no, no but to make our first response to go to the Lord, the righteous judge of all the earth. Lord, stop this. I know it doesn't please you. This is evil. It's wrong. Sometimes that will be the own sin nature I find in myself. As I commit sin, oh Lord, I, stop this. I don't want any more of it. Help me to continue to put to death my sin nature and yield to Christ in my life to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to end all wickedness. Sometimes in ourselves, sometimes for those outside of us, God has given any number of means to end wickedness. One of the ways that God ends wickedness today because of the Lord Jesus Christ is through repentance. In fact, the Apostle Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 3. And he's preaching to a group of people, the very ones that had put the Lord Jesus on the cross. And if ever there were a time for Peter to come forth with these imprecatory psalms, I mean, there's a good time for a message on Psalm 58, right? Peter could have just preached this text and, you know, Lord, wipe these people off the earth who put Jesus to death. But as Peter comes and preaches to them, he, he tells them about how God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. And as he continues to say, he actually says to them, you crucified him. But God has made him Savior and Lord so that you would turn from your sin and repent, he says in Acts 3.26. See, God made a way through Jesus to call us to repentance. We can turn from our acts of evil and trust in Christ as Savior to repent of what we've done. And so, To pray for repentance is a wonderful way to pray that God would stop evil. Oh, Lord, bring this person to repentance, to turn from their evil ways and to trust in Christ as Savior. But we also know that God will bring justice to the earth. Revelation 6.10, we have the example of the saints who had been martyred 
And they call out to God from by his throne there. They call out and say, how long, Lord, until you come avenge our deaths, until you come judge the earth? And so it is also right to pray for the return of Christ, that God would come and set all things right. Indeed, he will. He will end all evil. He will come and judge And so we pray this way in broad categories, and we also know in the New Testament we are also to love individuals. In our growth groups this week, we'll be taking a look at Romans chapter 12, which helps us understand on a a personal level how we treat those who have mistreated us, how we show love even when we are hated. This leads us to the final section here in Psalm 58, verses 10 and 11, where David turns his attention to the righteous. <clears throat> Here, we see that we can look forward to God's righteous judgment. Because God is the righteous judge of all the earth, it is good for us to look forward to His righteous judgment. David says in verse 10 that the righteous ones rejoice at God's vengeance. The word vengeance has to do with repayment. And it maybe takes our minds to Romans 12, which I already mentioned, verse 18, where the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God will repay all evil. In another graphic phrase in verse 10, he actually says that the righteous will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. I mean, this is graphic stuff that David talks about, and we we sort of cringe at these kinds of words. And yet, it is true that when God judges the earth, there will be the shedding of blood. Actually, when Jesus comes to judge the earth, we're told about this in Isaiah chapter 63, the winepress of God's wrath. There will be the shedding of blood of the wicked. And then again in Revelation, towards the end of the book, in Revelation 14 and again in, verse, in chapter 19, excuse me, we realize that when, when Christ comes to put down all evil, He will shed their blood. It's a reminder to us of how grievous our sin is. It costs blood. And so David explains that God will come. He will set all things right. There will be the shedding of the blood of the wicked, those who never trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, but continue to reject God. And so the result of all of this in verse 11 is that men, all people, in fact, not just the righteous, but all people will say there is a reward for the righteous. God repays not only evil, but he repays good as well. There's a reward for those who are God's children. And number two, that indeed God is the one who judges the earth. God is the righteous judge. God is the one who sets all things right. God is the one that we look forward to His righteous judgment. All will recognize that God is the judge of the earth. This brings us to an important closing question today. Are you ready for His judgment? The truth is clear from the text. God is the judge of the earth. And he's a righteous judge. And he does not tolerate any evil. So the question that we all need to confront today is, how will I do before God's judgment? What will his determination be of me? 
Well, the answer is, have I committed any acts of evil? And if I have, then I face His wrath. Unless I trust in His provision of salvation. The only way to escape the wrath of God is to trust in the one who felt the wrath of God. To trust in the Lord Jesus as Savior. You know, this psalm is so interesting because it does indeed point us to Christ. We find in verses 1 through 5 that not only is David lamenting these other wicked ones, but indeed I am a wicked one as well. As we read the the curses of verses 6 through 9, as as David calls for God's righteous judgment, is he not describing the very judgment that I deserve? If I've lied, if I've committed sin against the holy God, do I not deserve to have my teeth broken in, to be wiped off the face of the earth? I do. And what David describes here is actually what Jesus felt in our place. He's describing what the wrath of God should look like upon evil. And if we truly believe that Jesus died with the sins of the world on His shoulders and paid for our sins and felt the just wrath of God, then these are the very curses that Jesus took for me on the cross and for you on the cross. And so we come to verses 10 and 11. And we know that Jesus alone has the right to judge because He took God's wrath And so he too is worthy to pour out God's wrath. This is what we read in the book of Revelation when when no one can be found worthy to unfold God's scrolls of judgment upon the earth and they're searching who is worthy to bring justice to the earth. And the Lamb steps forward, the one who had died in our place. He is worthy. Why? Because with his blood he redeemed to himself people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Evildoers who did not deserve His salvation. But friend, that salvation is offered to you today. If you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you and rose again, you can have your evil works washed away and not given your righteous acts, but no, the very righteousness of God in its place. So that when judgment day comes and you are to stand before the judge of all the earth, He sees the very righteousness of Jesus. It's the only way to escape God's wrath. Would you trust in Him today? God is the righteous judge of all the earth. And He has offered a way of salvation. And so we who have trusted in Christ, we thank Him. We grieve the evil that we see around us. We pray for the return of His Son that He would set all things right. And we look forward to His righteous judgment, not because I've done enough good things, but because I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because I've trusted in Him as my Savior. Have you done the same? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus. As we read a text like this, we are just struck with the the grievous nature of our evil acts of sin. They are wrong. They deserve punishment. They deserve the shedding of blood. And I thank You that Jesus stood in my place and took that wrath. Pray for anyone here today who has not taken care of their eternal judgment. That as they think about the justice of God, that they today would even repent and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we 
who have trusted in Christ continue to live in this evil world, even at times confronted with the the evil works of our own hearts. Oh, Father, we pray that you would bring all evil to an end. Stop it in my heart. Stop it in the, the world around us. Bring to an end those who are set on destruction and wickedness. Oh, Father, we pray that the Lord Jesus would come even today and begin that process of setting all things right. As we wait, we want to do so with patience because we know that even now you are patient. That as your patience waits, it is your desire that all would come to repentance. And so, we, Father, we pray for the repentance of the wicked that they would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that your justice, your love, and your mercy would be magnified forevermore. We praise you for your salvation and we thank you with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.